That's a really great time for us to connect with, with God. So please stand and join us as we sing God of Wonders. Ready? Two, three, and... Amy McCullough up here because today is Amy's last day 
And I have to tell you that I am having to say goodbye to not only just one of my sweetest friends since I have been here, but for 18 months she has done amazing things in this place, administratively, spiritually, and I am so grateful for the time that our paths got to overlap. Um, She is making a change. God's calling her to a workplace that is very close to her home five minutes away that she can work and have more opportunities to have lunch with this little monkey and the other monkey that was on the drums and that she can maybe balance out that just a little bit better. So we just want to say goodbye to Amy, but we don't want to say goodbye and God bless you. I love you. So we do get Mike for a little bit longer, her husband, until we find a replacement, and Mike is gracious enough to help um, train someone and get us up to speed there. So if you know anyone that is talented with sound and lights and that sort of thing, come see me. Thank you. And if the kids want to make their way down right now for the children's moment. All right. I don't know where Miss Carol's having you sit. Well, uh, let's see. Why don't you sit right there? If That's a good spot. That's a good spot. And even on the floor is good. That's good. Come on in. Come on in. Scat around right here. Right here is good. Sit right here. Hi. So today is really exciting because, um, well, every Sunday is exciting, but this is really cool because we get to give our third graders their very own Bible. Yes. And so the Bible is a really special book. Um, We get to learn when we go through the Bible all the wonderful ways that God's work is done in the Bible. um, But here's the most important thing. When we read the Bible, we encounter God. We learn and we change our mind and we learn some stuff that we didn't know before and sometimes we change our mind. But the most important thing is that it's when we read the Bible, it's one way we get to meet with God. It's like getting to set an appointment with God every time we open that Bible. You know, when you go in an appointment, you meet with somebody, you, um, you, you listen, you interact. That's what we do when we put the Bible. We hear God when we read the Bible, and so he's with us. It's really cool. It's kind of like getting to spend time with him. So, um, if you are a third grader, would you stand up? We've got some right here. Why don't you come over here? I'm going to have you um, come on right over here. Stand right next to Miss Lori, right in a row here, face, face these wonderful people. I know, brother has to, okay. So we're gonna have you say your name when you receive God's word, Lori, Miss Lori's gonna hand you your Bible, and then um, Cynthia. Cynthia Drake, Franklin, Franklin Watrous, ben. ben Milliken, Carter, Carter Flaragi, Kara. <laughs> Kara Okay, guys. Our hope and prayer is that this Bible is the beginning of, the journey, of, of your journey and your relationship with Lord, our God and Savior. So would you, um, would you repeat after me as you remain standing? Please, please remain after I receive this Bible as God's word for me. I will strive to know and understand it, and through it know God. May it shape my character, penetrate my soul, direct my decisions, 
shepherd my heart, be a beacon of truth, remember truth, and lead my life. So as Lori comes over and she, before she says the prayer, we'd like to invite the parents when the children leave out around 920 to come up for a special parent meeting with the kids. Great. So let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the gift of your word. May we be in your word every day so that we can get to know you a little bit better, so that we can follow you a little more closely. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good job. Excuse me. Yeah, thanks. So, a couple of quick announcements. Family Promise is coming up. Sarah, stand up. Miss Soboleski. Stand up. Turn around. What does it say? My pastor likes it when I sleep in church. Turn around. And... Family promise. You too could own one of those really cool t-shirts. All you have to do is volunteer. Bring a meal, sleep over, set up, tear down. See, are you going to be under the tree? Someone is. Someone is under the tree. So go and sign up for that. Second and final announcement. You know how we're called the garden, our worshiping space? We met with a marketing consultant about a lot of different things in the church, and the garden is great, but it is really insider language. It's what we call ourselves, and it's awesome, and I love it. But if someone were to read that on a flyer or to see it on a website, they wouldn't know what it is. They didn't know if we're meeting outside. They don't know what kind of service it is. So here's my question for you. If you were going to invite a friend to church and you wanted to bring them to the garden, would you be inviting them to a contemporary service or a modern service? Think about that answer because we're going to stand up because we're going to vote. And I need some eyes. So I'm just trying to get a feel for this. So if you think you were going to invite someone to church and you're going to say, come to our contemporary service, stand up. And don't be influenced by the people around you. Wow. Nice. You can have a seat. If you were going to invite them to a modern service, stand up. (laughs) And the laughing, and the laughing at you. Don't be discouraged. While you're standing up, why don't you contemporary people stand up next to the moderns and say hello? All right, hey, modern and contemporary. Some of us are like, what's the difference? I don't know. 
I don't know, but um, the, the main thing is that we remember no matter what we call this space, whether it's here at the garden or the modern service or the contemporary service or the traditional service, whatever, it, whatever we call it, we are all still called to come together and worship the one true God every single uh, moment of our life. So um, uh, Heavenly Father, be with us today. Um, be with us um, as we worship you and help us to remember that no matter what name we, we say, that we are still one church under you. And, and uh, if it weren't for you, our lives would be empty and void. So bless all of us today uh, and as, as we go through our week and bless everyone who's walked through these doors. Um, anybody who, is, who isn't even here, uh, bless them, be with them, let them feel your presence. And it's your name we pray. Amen. stand up and lift our hands. We stand and lift up our hands. For the joy of the Lord is our strength. We bow down and worship Him now. How great, how awesome is He. And together we sing. Everyone sing. Filled with His glory. 
We ask um, that we now worship in our giving. Uh, you'll see the bags next to you on the chairs. And um, ushers, please come forward and collect them. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time of uh, worship, and I ask that you uh, continue to fill this place as we continue to worship, uh, worship you, and uh, bless Lori as she delivers the words that you have for, for us to hear today. In your name we pray, amen. Good morning again. So we are in our third and final week of Genesis, and we are ending with one of my all-time favorite stories, Joseph. I have to admit, before I prepped for this sermon, almost all of my knowledge from that came from Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. They are really close. It is actually really good. So last Sunday, we learned, there's Joseph, we learned that we need to claim God's promise for ourselves to look up and believe. God keeps God's promises. We were to dwell on Hebrews 11, one for the week, which says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And if you read along this week in our daily readings, and you'll find them again in the bulletin, you'll see that some of them were kind of long and we covered a lot of ground, but they drop us right into Jacob's family. And Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. Jacob has 10 sons with Leah and with a couple of the servants, and he has two sons with his favorite wife, Rachel. One, of course, is his favorite son, Joseph. So there are a smattering of verses that we're going to read through today. They start, most of them are in chapter 37, and then it ends at the very end of Genesis in chapter 50. So I asked Cameron Deems to come up and to share the readings with us as we go through them, and we are going to start in Genesis 37. So if you want to look at your phone or look at the screen or look in your Bible, verses 2 through 4. 
Hello, everyone. <laughs> Joseph, being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock with his brothers. He was a helper to the sons of Bilah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report to them of, of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other children, because he was the son of his old age. And he had made him a long robe with sleeves. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. There are five important things that we learn about Joseph in this passage. First, he's 17. 17 years old. Who here remembers being 17 years old? Who is 17 years old? Well, 17 years old was a little different back when I was 17 compared to when these guys are 17 and a little different from the Old Testament 17. Joseph seems self-centered and unaware of how cocky he sounds. And I know our 17-year-olds today are very mature. They have a lot of responsibility on them with working and school and trying to create these fabulous resumes, going to all these clubs with leadership positions and volunteer work and all of the homework that I know you guys are doing, like night after night, so they can get good grades. But then again, in ancient times... 17-year-olds were often kings and queens, and they often were married and had families of their own. So 17 is something to hang on to when you think about Joseph. Second, Joseph is a tattletale. Nobody likes a tattletale. Third, Joseph is, of course, the favorite son. His dad, Jacob, loved Joseph the best of all of his sons, and he seems to have no problem letting them know it. Not a stellar parenting technique. Four, Joseph was given a very special robe. A long robe with long flowing sleeves. The traditional translation says it was a coat of many colors. In Joseph's day, everyone had a coat. These coats or cloaks were used to keep warm, to carry belongings, and even to serve as security if you wanted a loan. Most coats were very plain and about knee length, very functional. Joseph's coat was not only colorful, but it was ankle ankle long, ankle long, ankle knee, yeah, ankle long, um, with these long sleeves, which basically said not only royalty, but he doesn't have to work. So imagine if one of your siblings was given some kind of article, a special article of clothing, and it basically meant you never have to do chores. Not setting Joseph up for success. Finally, when Joseph's brothers saw that their dad loved Joseph more than everyone else, they hated Joseph even more. And you think your family is dysfunctional. For the next few verses in our passage 5 through 11, I want to show you a clip of Joseph in the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. So this is where Joseph tells his brothers about the dreams he had about them bowing to him. Joseph's coat annoyed his brothers. What, what makes us mad are the things that Joseph tells us of, the dreams he's often had. I dreamed that one day the corn gave me a sign your 11 sheaves of corn 
final terms and bowed to mine. My sheaf was quite a sight to see, a golden sheaf and tall. Yours were green and second rate and really rather small. This is not the kind of thing we brothers like to hear. It seems to us that Joseph and his dreams should disappear. I dreamed I saw eleven stars, the sun, the moon, and sky. Bowing down before my star, it made me wonder why. Could it be that I was born for higher things than you? A post in someone's government, a ministry or two. The dreams of our dear brother are the decades big is yours. His talk of stars and golden sheaves is just a load of corn. Not only is he tactless, but he's also rather dear. For there's eleven of us, and there's only one of him. The dreams, of course, will not come true. That is, we think they won't come true. That is, we hope they won't come true. What it means by all along. <laughs> so what are the feelings now? The brothers hated him even more than they did before. The brothers, of course, are extremely jealous of him. And his father questions it. He's like, wow, the stars and the sun and the moon, my mother, your mother, your father are all going to be bowing down to you, Joseph. So the father sort of pondered this in his heart. So now we're going to flip to verses 17 through 22. Jacob asked Joseph to go check on his brothers to make sure that they were doing okay. They were pasturing flocks in a town about 50 miles away. So Joseph gladly went. And we pick up the story here in verse 17b. The man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after, after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from a distance, and before he came near to them, they conspired to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we shall say that a wild animal has devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he delivered him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but lay no hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hand and restore him to the, his father. These brothers hate Joseph so much that they conspire to kill him. That's some kind of hate. The oldest brother either takes pity on him or he hopes to gain some sort of favor with his father by convincing the brothers just to throw him into a pit instead of killing him. Reuben walks off. And then we pick up the story with Judah coming up with another plan for Joseph in verses 24 through 30, 26 through 34. When some Mennonite traders passed by, they drew Joseph up, lifting him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes. He returned to his brothers and said, 
The boy is gone, and I, where can I turn? Then they took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in blood. They had the long robe with sleeves taken to their father, and they said, This is what we have found. See now whether it is your son's robe or not. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. A wild animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put a sackcloth on his loins and mourned his son for his son for many days. The brothers haven't killed the dreamer, but by selling him into slavery, at least they think they've killed the dream. This dream that bowing down to their younger brother. And now maybe they have a chance to gain some favor with their father. So Joseph is sold to Potiphar, and the Bible tells us that the Lord was with Joseph, and Joseph became a successful man. There were bumps along the way, of course, like he got thrown into jail when Potiphar's wife accused him of coming on to her because he didn't, but because he wouldn't submit to her, she had him thrown in jail. While in jail, again, he rose to leadership. The guards wanted him to take care of everyone in the jail because he was that kind of person, and he began to interpret dreams there. Whatever he did, the Lord made him prosper. He eventually was called to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. Joseph was able to predict a famine, so he had Egypt store up enough food over those seven years so that during the next seven years of the famine, they could not only feed everyone in Egypt, but they could feed other people who came to get, to get food. Joseph became the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. The famine actually drove his brothers up to Egypt to beg for food from the powerful Egyptians. They have some interesting exchanges between the brothers and Joseph because they don't even recognize him. But finally, we get to the end of this story just after Jacob has died and towards the very end of Genesis. Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21. Realizing that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers said, What if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong that we did to him? So they approached Joseph, saying, Your father, father gave us this instruction before he died. Say to Joseph, I beg you, forgive the crime of your brothers and the wrong that they did in harming you. Now, therefore, please forgive the crime of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also wept, fell down before him and said, We are here as your slaves. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good, in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. So have no fear. I myself will provide for you and your little ones. In this way he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. A key verse that we're going to keep coming back to. Even though you intended to harm me, God intended it all for good. Let us pray. Gracious God, you have the words of abundant and eternal life. Open our ears and our hearts to hear your voice in the words just read and the words to come. Amen. Thanks, Cam. So as you can imagine, there are a lot of sermons that could be preached from this passage. 
There are so many lessons. It is just rich with ideas. But I think it's good if we try to hone into one main theme. And the nugget that I took away this time as I read this familiar story is summed up like this. Dare to dream. To dream means to reach and to strive for a better future, perhaps a future that we can't even see yet. To dream means to be alive. The poet Langston Hughes wrote, Hold fast to dreams, for if dreams die, life is a broken-winged bird that cannot fly. Hold fast to dreams, for when dreams go, life is a barren field frozen with snow. To dream means to be alive. Think about our students here. I've talked to so many of them They have dreams of getting into premier colleges, getting an education that connects their passion to their livelihood so they can make a profound impact on a hurting world. What about you? Do you still dare to dream? To dream is to be alive, but it's not without a risk. Martin Luther King Jr. had a dream where character would be more important than skin color. In 1963, he gave his I Have a Dream speech, and here are just a few of the lines. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they're not judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Less than five years after this speech by a dreamer, Martin Luther King Jr. was shot and killed. Not unlike Joseph's brothers, they thought if we kill the dreamer, we can kill the dream. You see, a dream can feel like a threat to those who cannot imagine a new way of life. James Earl Ray may have killed the dreamer, but he did not kill the dream. Dare to dream. But it's not only bullets that can kill a dream. Our words, our expressions, Our attitudes can crush the dreams of other people. Take a look at this woman. She is not one of the pretty people. She's a bit chunky. Her eyebrows are too bushy. Her clothes are not hip. Her hair is too frizzy. Her makeup's not applied in a beautiful way. You may recognize her. Her name is Susan Boyle. About seven years ago, she appeared on Britain's Got Talent. So we're going to watch this three-minute video clip of her audition. Now, while I realize that this is a television production, I want you to pay attention to the response from the audience. They laugh at her, they roll their eyes, they scoff. I don't know the details of Susan Boyle's life and of her childhood, but I knew others like her. I think we all did. Those kids who didn't have the right clothes or the right look or the right body type. Think of the ways that we have killed their dreams. If we didn't ignore them completely, we laughed at them, we mocked them, and we rolled our eyes. Now, the song that Susan sings in this audition is from the musical Les Mis, which is another one of my favorites, I Dreamed a Dream. But watch the expression 
that shamefully sometimes reflects our own and listen for those haunting words, life has killed the dream I dream. Hi, what's your name, darling? My name is Susan Boyle. Okay, uh, Susan, uh, where are you from? I am from Blackburn near Bathgate, West Lothian. It's a big town. It's a sort of collection of... It's a collection of... Uh, villages. I to think there. And how old are you, Susan? I am 47. <laughs> and that's just one side of me. <laughs> Okay, what's the dream? I, I'm trying to be a professional singer. And why hasn't it worked out so far, Susan? I've never been given the chance before, but here's hoping it'll change. Okay, and who would you like to be as successful as? Elaine Page. Elaine Page. Like what are you going to sing tonight? I'm going to sing I Dreamed a Dream from the Miserables. Okay. Big song. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. dream. After this debut, she became known as the woman who silenced Simon Cowell. 
Although she got second place in Britain's Got Talent, she released her first album in 2000, November 20, 2009, and it was a huge hit, selling over a million copies in six weeks. She's working on her fourth album. Don't be a dream crusher. And when you are daring to dream, stay connected to God so that you're in tune with God's will and then surround yourself with encouragers. But what about when we dare to dream and we land in the pit like Joseph did? First, I think it's important to realize that pits do not necessarily destroy our dreams. They may delay them, but they don't destroy them. Waiting does not kill us or our dreams. Waiting is not easy, but we're still alive. God uses guys like Reuben to keep us alive. I love what the prophet Isaiah writes about waiting for the Lord. Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Another thing we learned from Joseph about being in a dark pit is that God is with us, right by our side. When Joseph's brothers threw him in the pit, God was with him and protected him. When he was sold as a slave, God went with him. When Joseph was falsely accused of attacking Potiphar's wife, God was with him. When he was sent to prison, God was with him during the time in prison, and Joseph was then put in charge of the prison. So even when we feel like God has abandoned us when we're in those pits, Remember, God is always, always with us, and he will strengthen us. In my Bible, Psalm 139 has this title, The Inescapable God. Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I attend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, below, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Third, though all these hardships, through all these hardships and pits, Joseph was made into a person of character. No longer was he the spoiled young son, but he became a fine man who was respected as a great leader. I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 5, but yet we rejoice in our suffering because we know suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope will never disappoint us. Suffering in the pit can produce perseverance and character. But this is a discovery that always needs to be made by the person who is suffering. We rarely make these discoveries when we're actually down in the pit. Often it's once we've climbed out and we're looking in the rearview mirror that we can see God's hand and how God has gently been shaping us. The worst thing we can say to someone who is in the pit, God's using this to teach you a lesson. It's the last thing that someone needs to hear when they are hurting. Usually, we don't need to say much of anything, do we? Just show up, give a hug, hold a hand, bring warm cookies. 
Finally, I think it's important to remember that God does not cause the brokenness that often lands us in the pit, but God causes the healing after it happens. Joseph's brothers had anger, jealousy, frustration, and even hatred, and they did a horrible thing to their brother, but God will work even in the midst of evil. We can see how God's justice can work through human sin, just as it did, as we read in Scripture, for the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Remember, even though you intended to harm me, God intended it all for good. Dare to dream. So we have lots of great examples of people who spent a fair amount of time in the pit before they climbed out and realized their dream. And I want to share three modern-day examples of ordinary people who dared to dream. One of the best examples of a person who dared to dream big is Oprah Winfrey. Oprah was fired from one of her first television jobs because the producer said that she was unfit for television. We all know that she has gone on to become one of the richest women in the world because she dared to dream big. While working as a secretary, J.K. Rowling, spent, now known, of course, for the Harry Potter series, spent so much time working on her book and not as the secretary job that she was supposed to be doing that she got fired. She spent seven years working on this book. She suffered through the death of her mother, a divorce, and living on government assistance. But she dared to dream big, and she's now one of the wealthiest authors in the world. Walt Disney was a dreamer from an early age, but his reality didn't catch up with him and his dreams that quickly. Walt Disney was fired from his job as a newspaper editor because he lacked imagination and had no good ideas. (laughs) After leaving that job, he formed an animation company in 1921 which ultimately went bankrupt, left him unable to pay his rent and reportedly forced him to survive on eating dog food. What about you? What dream might God be stirring in your heart? We are called to partner with God's grace in this world. God's created each one of us with a unique blend of gifts and talents and passion. So what should we do? I think, first, we want to stay in conversation with God so we are surrounded with his will for our lives and we're surrounded with good listeners and encouragers. And don't be afraid of landing in the pit. Trust God. Know that you're not alone. And know that when you dare to dream, God will use it for good. Amen. So we continue to dare to dream because the God of Joseph, the God of Abraham, and the God of all our forefathers and mothers is the same God of ours who actually invites us to this feast. This is the Lord's table, and we are all invited, respected, very well-loved guests. And on the night of his arrest, our Lord Jesus took bread. After giving thanks to God, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, 
this is my body broken for you. Whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, Jesus also took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. Whenever you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. So every time we eat this bread and we drink of this cup, we proclaim the death of our risen Lord until he comes again, and he will come again. Let us pray. Our most gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for loving us all the time. Even when we are not aware, your love surrounds us. You love us so deeply that you have given to us your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, so that we may be um, saved and we may have eternal life. We give you thanks for this bread, which reminds us of the body of Christ that is broken for us. And we give you thanks for this cup, which shows us the shed of blood of Jesus Christ. These communion bread and cups proclaim that the depth of your love for us, not only now, but always, and every day, in every part of our lives. Bless these, your gifts for us, in our spiritual growth, and so that we may also love you and love our neighbors according to your will. We pray in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, this is the gift of God for the people of God. Go to next to over here. <laughs> 